Welcome to our final segment of this podcast. In this section, we will hear from Paul and Courtney about identifying steps you can take toward creating a more equitable experience for your students. So one of the things that's important as we talk about equity, right, and we begin to talk about how are we going to work into achieving it, how we're going to address it, is to recognize that it's going to require all of us, no matter where we are, to come outside our comfort zone. Right. And the thing that I tell anyone is the next step right outside our comfort zone is fear. And that's where a lot of people go back. They'll be like, oh, let me go back. I don't like being scared. You know, so we stay in our comfort zone because we get scared. But if we don't lean into the discomfort of the fear, we, we won't learn and we won't grow. And so as we continue and you all begin to embrace these topics of equity, of racial equity, of anti-racism, and we begin to do all of that, we're going to ask everyone lean into the discomfort because that's how we go. We got to lean into acknowledge it. Don't acknowledge it. Don't be afraid of it because on the other side of that is our growth. And what you'll see here is Dr. Ibrahim Kennedy, he did this thing. He's like, you know what? This comfort zone diagram is a thing. He's like, look, we're all in the process. Just like we're all in the process of growing, we're all in the process of becoming anti-racist. And part of that means we have to shift through the same zones. We want to be anti-racist. We got to shift through the same zones. We got to get past our fear and be like, ooh, I don't know about this. We got to get to learning. We got to sit with our discomfort and we got to be able to grow. And the growth looks different. And so for me, seeing this diagram just reminds me, it's okay for me to feel a queasiness in my stomach. It's okay for me to feel a little anxious. But if I really want to get on this journey and I really want to embrace and help people, all people feel comfortable in my presence, then I have to not allow the fear to dictate my behavior. Because if it dictates my behavior, then I'm trying to be comfortable. If I don't let it dictate my behavior, I'm trying to grow. It reminds me of my, I used to work out with a personal trainer and she'll be like, Courtney, pick up the 30 pound weights. I'm like, I can't pick that up. I wouldn't even try. I'm going to the 20. But then when I tried and she actually made me do it, I'm like, wait, my muscles are stronger. I got this. I can lift a 30 pound weight. But I would never know if I kept letting my actions be driven by my fear. And so one of the things that this fear provokes and one of the things that this fear talks about is the concept of white fragility, right? Um, and, and it can be a barrier, right? And for me, it's the point where I'm like, stay and talk to me. And other people are like, I'm, I'm out, I'm gone. <laughs> I, I can't deal with this. This is, this is making me uncomfortable, I gotta go. And I'm like, no, even though it might be coming across as a little intense, even though you're getting all my emotions, I still wanna have this conversation. Don't walk away from me. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna let Paul talk a little bit about it and then I'm gonna come back to you. Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks, Courtney, and hi, everyone. Um, really, really uh, feeling happy and um, appreciative to be with you all. Yeah, I was thinking when, um, Courtney, when you were sharing that prior slide about kind of the comfort and fear and learning and growth zones, and I was thinking um, just how hard it is for me personally to c- 
come out of the comfort and fear zones um, and really like own, the, own myself and my responsibility in the learning space and ultimately in the growth, growth space and how, how much growing I have to do. And I feel like this concept of white fragility, I experienced as a real gift to help me understand myself um, and also to help understand the thought patterns that I believe I see in many other white people, um, starting with me around some of this. And I think, you know, the first thing is just sometimes when I'm thinking about things, I want to think that racism is about people of color, <laughs> but of course, racism really is about white people, right? Um, um, we created racism and we benefit from it. Um, and it's really, really hard and uncomfortable for us to talk about it. And we are so good at getting out of the conversation. Um, so, you know, I feel like when I look at some of the examples on this slide, um, that whole notion of like, well, if somebody starts a conversation and then I think, well, they're pulling the race card, right? So that's my like um, way of first emotionally and then often like <laughs> conversationally just, you know, sort of like stepping away. So that's a kind of, you know, I, I get offended by somebody else bringing up the topic of racism, right? Or I get angry. Um, so yeah, and then I think the second one I've been thinking so much about the, the, the idea that when I do something that, that is racist, that, you know, a person of color, another person experiences as having a racist impact, then immediately what I want to do is focus on my intentions, right? So, so I don't want to think like, okay, you know, um, I recognize that what I did had this had this impact on you. I want to say that's not what I meant, right? So I think that 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 train of thought, and that is such a deeply ingrained train of thought in me, to immediately go to that's not what I meant. Um, 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 so so I think like really being able to think how can I stay focused on my impact um, because really um, my intentions just aren't that important, quite frankly. We all have the best of intentions. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Courtney, can we go back just um, um, just a couple other things? So um, just to say, um, you know, then um, I think another thing that I often do is I super intellectualize this conversation. So this thing about criticizing the process. So I might say to myself, oh yeah, you know, racism is important and we need to acknowledge it, but I don't like the way this particular person is bringing this topic up or, or they're not doing it the right way, um, right? So that's, you know, such a piece. I also think one that um, has been an example that came up in our work recently is one of our team members was saying that she was in a conversation with someone and that person kind of explicitly, they were talking about a situation where a person of color had explicitly identified their experience of racism in the situation. And then there, there was a white person in a position of power who sort of said, well, yes, racism is important. And I recognize that there is systemic racism, but I'm not sure that's what's going on here, right? And so it's a way of saying, so here a person of color has just named <laughs> the impact on them. And then it becomes, well, yes, racism is important in general, but I'm not sure it's happening in this situation, right? So it's just a way of stepping away and not really listening to what, what folks are saying. And so just to say, like, I feel like we, we've been taught these habits of mind that really, really, um, you know, let us just step away um, from the conversation. And so I, you know, it is so uncomfortable for me often to be in this conversation, but um, 
what I'm trying to do with, with humility is just to stay in the conversation even when it's uncomfortable. Um, um, if I can just do that, I feel like that's often the first step of moving from the fear zone to the learning and growth zone. So yeah. Um, yeah, and Courtney, I don't know if you wanna talk about the next slide if you'd like me to. Um, these are the, I'll just say a little bit and Courtney, you may wanna pick it up, but um, many of us have seen, um, uh, you know, either a TED talk or an interview maybe, or read some pieces uh, from Robin D'Angelo's work on white fragility. So this is a little bit more of, um, you know, of a description um, kind of coming from there. I really love that sentence in the middle of the first bullet for a lot of white people, just suggesting that being white has meaning will trigger a deep defensive response. In other words, like, I think for me, I often wanna say, well, um, I don't see color or race doesn't matter. Or, you know, so the idea that in fact, it is a meaningful reality that I am white um, can be really uncomfortable for me. It can be really uncomfortable for me just for me to think about I am white or think about my whiteness, right? Um, that those are things that can trigger me, but and make me defensive. But um, what that then allows me to do again is step away from the conversation, and I can, um, I can walk away from the conversation um, and not really have to be touched by it. So, yeah. And then um, the idea that um, so interesting, right? So that all these different ways of kind of stepping away from the conversation actually are, they are an assertion of power and we may not feel powerful, um, but that's part of the trick, right? About, um, about oppression, right? Um, that, you know, so often um, we don't feel that we're asserting power, but nevertheless, we're asserting power and other people can see it. So, and then finally, you know, this, this final idea that um, I, I just, you know, I'm gonna do everything I can so that, um, that I'm not not perceived as racist or that I'm not, you know, um, I'm just <laughs> very anxious not to be racist, right? So uh, as opposed to saying, of course, I have to own, I grew up in a society and in a context that's deeply racist. Of course, it has touched me deeply and I need to unlearn racism as opposed to just saying I'm not racist. Um, so, um, but again, it's, it's, it's really hard to do that um, and really important. So, Courtney, I don't know if you have anything you'd like to add about it. I think one of the things that, and you'll see on this diagram, is how that can shift from just being, and we've seen the videos, I mean, we can watch, I could have pulled up many things to show, it's like how it goes from just this fragility to actually a weapon, right? And it becomes a weapon that's utilized against um, BIPOC, you know, individuals, uh, marginalized individuals, where it becomes a policing, you know, a shaming. Um, a refusal to look at it, invalidation, right? And so what happens when it's not just that the fragility happens, is that it begins to become something that is weaponized and used to further marginalize the people that we aren't trying to marginalize in the first place, right? And so one of the things that people always talk about is like, you know what? The opposite of that, when you hear the word fragility is like working on being an ally and going through this process of like, you know what, how can I be an ally to you instead of being someone that becomes weaponized against you, right? And so with that in mind, one of the things you'll see on this diagram is it just walks you through that even allyship can kind of be performative, right? Um, it says, you know, an authentic ally doesn't make it about them, right? Um, you don't center you in the conversation. You make sure to center someone else, right? 
um, you, you make sure that you're constantly educating yourself. You're not, you're not doing it. It's not a bandwagon thing. It's not a thing that, oh, I'm doing it today and I'm not doing it tomorrow. It's when you're actually like, you know what? I'm willing to take risks. Like I'm really willing to lean into, and this is outrageous me. You know, I'm upset. I'm, I'm feeling the empathy, the grief and literally authentic allyship. I tell, anyways, like, are we sitting with the discomfort? Can we hold? I tell anyone, it's really easy to hold people's joy and people's happiness. It's much harder to sit with their pain. And their anger. And their anger. Yep. So it's really hard, right? And so can we do that? Authenticity means I can hold all parts of you. And so how are we allowing that to happen? Be it how people speak, how it's demonstrated. How am I saying I can hold all of you? As we're closing um, and we're going to turn it back over, I just want you all to hold that this is just not a call to action. It's a call to action to really think about how do we show up in the world differently in a way that advocates for others and also in a way that builds resilience for others. Because when we can do that, we'll make the world a better place for all of us to be in. Can you imagine regulated individuals coming into your office where you're not getting cussed out and people are like, you're not giving me enough attention. What do you mean? You're like, whoa, where's this? But people coming in regulated. Can you imagine people coming in and being like, I feel the world sees me. I feel the world loves me. I feel the world holds me. Can you imagine how health disparities would decrease? Can you imagine how the prevalence of hypertension and high disease in communities of colors and community would decrease? If we could do those things, right? So I wanna leave that with you all. So thank you all for having us today and looking forward to continuing this journey with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast series. Please go back to the site to take the post-test and claim credit for the course.